Isaiah chapter 49. So I'm... uh... I'm here tonight to encourage you in your calling. And uh, how many of you feel called to serve the Lord? All right, we can we can move forward. Uh, what I what I want to do tonight is I'm going to give you five uh, kind of basics principles of serving the Lord and following His calling on your life. And then, um, as I was uh, yeah, five principles, five scriptures. But as I was uh, working through it, I felt led to talk a lot about missions tonight. Um, and so most of the illustrations and things I'm going to give you have to do with missions. And um, maybe I could ask that question. How many of you are, let's, let's start simple. How many of you would be open to go on a short-term missionary trip? Oh, this is great. We're, we're making progress. That's not even five minutes in. Uh, how many of you, I'll even go all the way here, uh, potentially you would be open if God called you to be a missionary. Okay, we're losing some of you, but... Uh, um, yeah, I feel, uh, just as I was putting this together, that I was to encourage you in your calling first, which these things would apply to everybody who feels called to serve the Lord. But then, uh, as I kind of illustrate each of these principles, I'm going to give you some of uh, my missionary background and missionary stories uh, and just encourage you in that as well. So um, can I pray before I read this scripture? Let's bow our heads and we'll pray. Father, uh, we are glad you know, to be here in your house. Can't think of a safer place, although our hearts do uh, go to South Carolina and we think about those that are grieving there. And Lord, we pray that you'd pour out such a, a mighty wave of your spirit. Lord, I thank you for all the forgiveness that was spoken in Jesus' name today. And Lord, that is powerful. But Lord, we pray, God, for your, your work in the midst of tragedy. And Lord, we, just, we realize that we're living in these last days where more and more we see things that are just horrific, uh, demonically inspired. And we know that this is it. We, we have to be um, filled with the Spirit. We need to be walking in the Word. We need to be praying every day and asking you to lead and to guide. And, and Lord, tonight's just no different. You know, we're here, uh, each of us, we're seeking you and asking you and praying. And I, I just ask now that the word would be uh, alive and that you'd use it, Lord, to speak to us and give us direction and wisdom, each one of us, Lord, for our specific uh, gifts and, and callings in the church that we could serve you, Lord. And I just trust that tonight is one of those divine appointments that you'll lead us and you'll guide us now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Isaiah chapter 49. I want to begin by just reading verse 6. Indeed, he says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. And to restore the preserved ones of Israel. 
I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. God used this verse uh, to call me uh, into missions. And um, the first principle I want to give you is that uh, we like to emphasize the call of God and how God uses people. He calls people uh, when he wants to get something done. And you kind of find it from Genesis to Revelation. When the Lord wants to do something, uh, he, he looks for a person. And he stirs them up and he calls them and he sets them into motion. Uh, for me, uh, Isaiah 49.6, I still remember the first time I read it. Uh, I remember just being struck by this idea. It's too small a thing. And I thought, what's too small a thing? Well, he says it's too small a thing uh, that you would just be a servant to raise up Israel. That God's plan was much bigger than just Israel always was. God wanted to use Israel to bless all the other nations. Uh, when God called Abraham, he said, I'm going to bless you, but then you shall be a blessing. And in your seed, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. Do you remember that? Uh, Israel didn't. <laughs> uh, Israel wandered from that calling. Israel at times was very self-serving and self-centered. And uh, this word through Isaiah is a word uh, saying, you know, kind of scolding them. It's too small a thing. You know, if you just focus on yourself and focus on being blessed of God, but you forget your calling uh, to bless the nations. Here he says, the, the Gentiles and the ends of the earth. Then you've sort of missed your purpose and your calling. And uh, I remember being very stirred by this scripture. I was in college. I was reading through Isaiah with a friend. We hit this chapter and I just never read it before. And it, it just hit me that... For me, personally, just to focus on getting blessed and to forget about others was wrong. Uh, for me, just to focus on the work of God in America and the church that I was involved in and, and to, to miss the world uh, was to miss it. And uh, even as a nation, to, to limit our prayers for our nation and not to see the big world, uh, I feel the prophet's word speaks to all, that everybody ultimately is called uh, to go beyond their borders. You know, we all love Acts 1.8, right? Uh, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Uh, you shall be my witnesses uh, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And, you know, that's a pattern that at any time God's working in a, a church and a place that ultimately, right, you, you reach out first to your Jerusalem, Pasadena. We are in Pasadena, right? Usually when I say Burbank, I get... Uh, but Pasadena. And then uh, God has more ministry. Once that's established, it becomes very natural, isn't it? That as a church grows and gets healthy, its influence grows. And you start to look out beyond. And you start to reach out uh, beyond your city. And you look at the greater Los Angeles. And you start looking at opportunities to minister. And ultimately it spreads from uh, a small city to a larger city to a nation. And then beyond our borders, right? And uh, I remember this scripture was sort of written on my heart at that time. And then the way it works in my life is often God will speak a word through his word. And then he'll give you an opportunity to do something about it. And for me, it was halfway through college. And I had a friend invite me to a concert. 
And uh, said, you got to come to this concert. And I was uh, going to school in Santa Barbara. And the concert was in Long Beach. And we drove down to the Long Beach. I think it's the Civic Center. And it was a Keith Green concert. How many of you guys remember Keith Green? Friends. Jesus people, friends. And uh, this was in June of 1982. And at that time, Keith Green was on fire for missions. He had been overseas and he had come back and he was doing concerts. He was a musician, a Jesus people musician. But uh, he did more preaching than singing that night. He talked a lot about uh, missions and going out into the world and was just challenging us to go. And I, I felt like God was speaking to me. And it was sort of confirming this word in Isaiah. And he was saying, you just need to go. And uh, what I didn't know that night was that um, one month before that concert, he was praying in Ventura. And as he was praying, he was given a vision from the Lord of 100,000 young people going out onto the mission field. And then what I didn't know was going to happen one month after that concert is that he would be dead. Uh, He died in a plane crash in Texas. And they had set up all these concerts. They were going to go around the United States and and call young people into missions. And what they decided to do, his wife Melody, was to to go ahead and do it. uh, To have the the concerts. They were called memorial concerts. And they had uh, musicians and speakers. But they had video of that last message of his. the, The call to go out on the mission field. And I just got swept along with that. I, I'm sort of a Keith Green missionary. Uh, that summer, I went on my first uh, missionary trip. And so that was, what, 33 years ago. And uh, I've just never stopped. Uh, as the Lord has led, um, just continually open to God's leading in doing uh, short-term missions and long-term missions. Uh, my wife and I actually, be, we were uh, in Eastern Europe for 10 years in the 90s. After uh, communism fell, the Iron Curtain fell in 1990, uh, all those countries opened up. So we actually lived over there 10 years and were involved with Calvary Chapel and church planting. Um, Even just uh, this year, um, I like to go to the missions conference in January. And usually I go and I I try to just be open. I like to pray and just uh, present myself to the Lord and to say, Lord, if you want us to go, uh, we'll go, and this year um, there was a... By the way, how many of you were there in January? Anybody? It's like every, every January they have a missions conference. A lot of the missionaries are here at Christmas, and so they try to gather as many as they can and then invite others. But one of the, the clear calls was uh, there was a lady there from the Middle East who was calling uh, people to come to Iraq and help train pastors because of what's going on there in that country. And that's sort of my um, special calling. Um, usually when I travel, it's, if, if there's a chance to train pastors, that's what I like to do. So um, that, was, that seed was planted in my heart and began praying about it. And then uh, over the last six months or so, different things would come along to kind of confirm that. I had some friends that were going to go. And then um, I was actually watching 60 Minutes one night pagan stuff, but uh, they had a segment on Christians in Iraq, and uh, it really touched my heart uh, hearing the story of what had happened there in the last year. Um, I also have two uh, brothers in my church who I began talking to, both of them had been born in Baghdad, 
and they had this burden for Iraq. And I began praying with them and talking with them. And um, I actually went the first week of June. We did a two-week mission in Iraq. And I'll talk more about that in a little bit. But um, God calls people. You know, God calls people to go places and to do things. And, you know, the reason I share these stories is that, you know, God uses different means. Um, he uses his word. For me, Isaiah 49.6 is just a word that I, I keep in my heart. But he uses things like a, a Christian concert where somebody is putting a call out to go. Uh, he uses this thing like a Christian conference where, again, people are making what I would call Macedonian calls. Come over and help us, you know. And if you're open and the Lord moves your heart, that can be something the Lord is speaking through, right? Uh, he can even use something like 60 Minutes. Uh, a TV show where you're watching and suddenly you find yourself really burdened and, and praying for people you've never met. And then as God just puts it on your heart, he gives you an opportunity to go do something. Uh, those two brothers, the testimonies and the prayers that we prayed together. Uh, again, all these things sort of for me uh, become confirmation of a call. But ultimately, uh, in the end, you have to just go. And um, we emphasize uh, the call of God. Now, i got a second thing for you. If you go over to Acts chapter 13. And the second uh, principle is we emphasize the equipping of God. And I'd like to read Acts chapter 13 uh, verses 1 through 3. It says, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Now, the principle I've said is uh, we emphasize the equipping of God. And, and what I mean is that God has his way. If he calls you to do something, he has his way of equipping you to do that. And um, in this story, in Acts 13, it's not immediately obvious that a lot of time has passed uh, in the Apostle Paul's life. Uh, one thing that is sort of hidden in the book of Acts is that it covers 30 years of history. So when you go from Acts chapter 1 to chapter 28, you're seeing a lot of amazing things. And it's sort of like a high, highlight reel. Uh, some of the miracles and amazing things that happened there. But it's stretched out over 30 years. Now, specifically here, this is the, the beginning of Paul's missionary journeys. Uh, Antioch is Paul's home church. And if you carefully follow these journeys, he begins and he ends every missionary journey in his home church. What a concept, right? Uh, they sent him. But then when he finishes the work, uh, each of those three journeys, he comes back to his home church and he reports what God had done. It was the sending base. So this starts here in Acts 13. It's one of the most exciting uh, chapters in the Bible when the Spirit of God speaks to a group of leaders and says, I'll separate unto me Barnabas and Paul, and they, they head out. But if I were to mark time, 
Um, this is about 10 years after Paul uh, was saved. From Acts chapter 9, right, where Saul of Tarsus gets knocked off his horse and meets Jesus, uh, from Acts 9 to Acts 13 is about 10 years of time. Some of those periods we call silent periods because uh, we don't really have any information about exactly what he was doing. Uh, but we get little bits and pieces. But it was Barnabas that went and got Paul and brought him to Antioch and uh, brought him and put him as a part of this team of uh, prophets and teachers. But uh, 10 years had passed of training uh, and equipping that Paul uh, spent with the Lord. And we know that he studied and we know that he preached, but it was God's timing that this would happen now. And, and that's not so fast. And uh, I bring that up because God knows when he calls you, it may not happen right away. Uh, you may go on a path of time where you're being equipped by the Lord to do what he's called you to do. And I, one of my big encouragements tonight is don't, don't get um, bent out of shape. <laughs> uh, don't get in a hurry regarding God's equipping for your, your calling. Uh, you know, we did not go to Eastern Europe for nine years from that time where we felt called, my wife and I, to be missionaries. Um, after those wonderful Keith Green nights and going out and doing short-term missions, we felt, you know, we were going to go and we were called to be missionaries. But uh, in between, you know, I was only halfway through college, and I would have loved to have left college, <laughs> but uh, that was not God's plan for my life. Uh, I finished college. By the way, my degree was engineering, electrical engineering. Um, I did work as an engineer for a very brief time, and it helped me pay for school. But um, that I finished that degree. Uh, I got married. Um, my senior pastor at Calvary Chapel Santa Barbara challenged me. Uh, to serve the church before we left as missionaries. And so he asked me to leave my, my engineering job and to be an assistant pastor. Actually, it wasn't even that good. He, called, he asked us to be uh, an intern. Would you be willing to be an intern? We called it pastors in training, the pits. And uh, I took a big pay cut. And it had to do with this thing of being called. I thought, you know what? That makes sense. You know, I need to... I need to uh, I've been trained as an engineer. I don't know much about ministry. And he was basically giving me an opportunity to be mentored and uh, to be taught uh, the ministry. And, you know, in the Calvary Chapel way, uh, so often that's how we do it, is in the local church. And just to be an assistant pastor, just to serve. Now, I ended up doing that for seven years. In my mind, it was way too long. Seven years of hard labor. Uh, sort of like Jacob and Laban or something, you know. And, uh, but as I look back on it now, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, I needed every bit of that. I didn't know what was going to happen on the mission field. I didn't know all the things and all the skills and all the, just the stuff I needed to know. And I look back on it now, and even though uh, we were desperate to go, we felt called uh, we spent seven years serving as assistant pastors there. And I look back and all the lessons and all the ministries, all the things that we did. This was a very old school Calvary Chapel kind of thing. And by that, I, I think you guys practice the same thing here in Pasadena. That when you become on staff, 
How many staff members in the house here? Um, it means that you're signing up to do anything and everything, right? So if the toilet's broken, you fix it. Uh, if you need more diapers for the nursery, you go get them. Uh, if we need to start a ministry uh, to the homeless, uh, you just volunteered. Uh, I remember times where I was asked to pray, to pray about doing this. And then I'd say, I don't feel like I'm supposed to do it. No, you're supposed to do it. You're going to do it. Um, and over a period of time, I mean, um, and I, I think it was the Lord. It wasn't accidental all the different kinds of ministry that we did and all the learning and things. Because when we went on the mission field, uh, everything that we learned, we needed. And we were passing it on to others and we were training young pastors. And here's the thing, right? God knows uh, how to equip you and how to train you for your calling. And uh, this is the thing. It, 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 It may not be going to school. Or something formal in training. And I, I want to underline that because I think this is one of the key things that, that Calvary Chapel brings to the table when it comes to missions. Is that um, in my experience I've met a lot of young people uh, on the mission field who to me are definitely called and gifted to serve in the church. But in a lot of cultures in the world, you know, including our own, but, but maybe more so in other cultures, uh, you can't become a pastor unless you've uh, been trained in a certain way or have gone to a certain school. Uh, even in other cultures, sometimes social classes and things are much more rigid. And if you're not a certain kind of person or a certain kind of wealth or a certain last name, and, you know, there's a lot of places in the world where, I've met young people who feel called to ministry, but they don't feel equipped. Uh, They don't feel able because in their culture, they're sort of taught that to to work for the Lord or to be a pastor, uh, you have to go to a certain school for a certain number of years and then, you know, we'll see. Does does this make sense? It's true here too, where a lot of times what, what we is very familiar to us in Calvary Chapel, where we emphasize the calling of God first. Has God called you? Right? That's the first thing. That's the most important. But then, uh, has He gifted you? In what ways has He gifted you? And then you start to equip people for ministry. And there's been so much fruit in our movement of Calvary Chapel, where by emphasizing the gifts and the calling, and just equipping people in the local church, that hundreds... Hundreds, over a thousand churches have started in our movement with very little formal training. Does anybody want to say amen? That's not the only way, right? You, you, there's, uh, there's nothing wrong with formal training, but it is a God way and it's a good thing. And on the mission field, I found that that was something that encouraged a lot of people who would disqualify themselves from serving the Lord by by seeing this model that in the local church, you can raise up people to do the ministry. You can equip them there. In other words, there's lots of ways that God can equip people to do ministry. And, you know, God, I believe, knows for each one of us what we need. And He He will take you to His school and your job and your life experience 
and the family that you were raised in, the kinds of ministries and opportunities that you have uh, to do in the local church, that those things, right, they equip you for what God's called you to be and to do. And God knows when you're ready and how to send you. And, you know, I just want to encourage you, the local church is where it's at. All of the opportunities that you have to serve and to do, even a, a school like this on a Friday night, that you can just come and begin to get taught and get equipped. And then, Lord knows, there's opportunities to take what you learn and to use it and to serve. This is, this is God's school. This is how uh, He does it. And there's so much fruit to emphasizing uh, the call and the equipping over all the other ways. Uh, God can use formal training and schools and things like that. But one thing I've seen is that the church is growing very rapidly around the world. And God's raising up people to do things and they just need a little bit of help and a little bit of encouragement. And that's one thing that we bring to the mission field is this model of the local church being the place where people discover their gifts and their callings. Can I get an amen? All right, I got another one for you. I go over to Acts 17. It's another way of saying you're probably in the right place tonight. <laughs> so Acts 17, a third principle, uh, is uh, we emphasize the power of God. Uh, Acts 17, Paul's preaching on the mission field. He's preaching in Athens, but I just want to read two verses. Uh, Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 27. Paul said, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. I'll never forget the first time I really heard these verses. Uh, I was listening to a missionary, Don Richardson. How many of you guys ever heard of Don Richardson? Man who wrote Peace Child. Amazing testimony. Uh, I was listening to him preach, and, and as he unpacked these verses, he points out, right, in verse 26, he's saying that God is in charge of the nations. And God's the one that puts people in certain times in certain places. He has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwelling. So in other words, uh, there's no accidents in history. In the rising and the falling of nations and the movement of peoples, all the different ethnic groups around the world, God is actually orchestrating something. He's orchestrating for every person where they live and when they live is all determined by God. Are you with me? Why? Well, verse... 27, so that uh, they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. God's orchestrating all, all the people of the earth so that he can set up divine appointments that people would come to Christ. They might find God. And this is... This is the power of God. This is really trusting that when you're feeling led, called and equipped, and you, you head out to minister, that God has already gone in front of you. 
that he sort of set it up. That this would apply in all times and all places. That if I step out in faith on what I feel God's called me to do and gifted me to do, that, that there are people there waiting. There are people that he's actually set up uh, where they live and when they live so that when this happens, uh, it's all orchestrated so that they might come to Christ. They might seek and find the Lord. Now this, this is sort of for me a missionary manifesto. Uh, this would be true in Burbank <laughs> when we planted the church there. You know, you go and we started in 2002. And you just believe that there's a group of people there just waiting to hear the word of God. That God is, it's in his timing, in that place, that there are people waiting to hear. And sure enough, there were. Uh, here in Pasadena, and you have a beautiful history, the story of this church and how God has led you. Uh, it's very similar to our story. We're just younger. You're our big brother. Uh, that God orchestrated all the moves. And, and the property and all that, because he had this plan and it had to do with people that, that were waiting to hear the word of God. And we're just waiting. And God orchestrates that. I believe this is true every time I get on an airplane and go out on a missionary trip. This is the verse I'm trusting. That wherever I go, as I've prayed and sought the Lord and I get on the plane, that there's going to be people there that are just waiting. That he's put them there for that time and that place. That they're, they're, they're close, like the verse says. They're just waiting for somebody uh, to tell them and to train them and to help them. Uh, this year, I've had a couple missions trips. Um, the first one was I, went, I got a chance to go to Vietnam. And um, I have a heart for these communist countries. There's only five of them left. Uh, and so you've got China, Cuba, but then there's this little cluster of Laos and uh, Cambodia, and uh, Vietnam. And then that little cluster, uh, I just felt that uh, when that call came out for help and training pastors, that uh, we were supposed to go. And so uh, right after Easter this year, got on the plane, and, um, and I got there. And I, I'm, I'm an American. I'm like you. I had no idea really what was going on in Vietnam. Are you with me? Until uh, you get there, sometimes you, you pray and you pray. But then uh, what I find is this verse comes to pass. That God has sort of set it up. These pre-appointed times and boundaries. So we flew into Saigon. I don't like calling it Ho Chi Minh City. Right? They renamed it. Saigon is the original name. And as soon as we got there, I knew something was going on. Because all over Saigon, there were these giant banners, posters, flags... And it had a date on it. And, you know, they do a day, month, year. And all over the city, it said 34-1975. And I, I, uh, I honestly didn't know what that meant. But it was everywhere I looked. And then I, I started realizing that that was the day where uh, the Americans left. It was the fall of Saigon. They were celebrating uh, the 40th anniversary of the fall of Saigon. They call it the Liberation of Saigon, but we were there during that time. Did you remember this on television? Did you see it? It went by real fast. Uh, it's not something that we're so proud of, right? Where we sort of abandoned uh, Vietnam and the churches that were there. Uh, but what we found out right away is that in the last 40 years, the church in Vietnam has been growing. And in certain parts of Vietnam, 
spectacular growth. Uh, in particular, the Hmong people. Have you ever heard of the Hmong people? Uh, the Hmong people are the, these tribal people up in the mountains. They're actually very short. They're even short uh, with the Vietnamese. They're just they're small people. Um, although I, when I was sharing this at my church, I had uh, a man in my church that did three tours in Vietnam, and he told me that the Hmong people were were killers. He said they were the most amazing fighters uh, in the jungle. And what I found out is in the last 20 years, 400,000 Hmong people have come to Christ. 400,000. Uh, largely through radio ministry, Far Eastern Broadcasting. And we were there and we had a chance to train some of these young pastors. And I, I just started thinking about the, the timing of this thing. And it's still a communist country, so this was still very much uh, an underground type of a thing. And we met in a very secretive location. We kind of locked ourselves in a room. And uh, we just spent days working through the inductive Bible study materials. And do you guys know Dan Finfrock? So Pastor Dan is a good friend of mine. I like to travel with Dan. So we were doing that material and teaching through books of the Bible. And, uh, you know, I thought to myself, in God's timing, right, 40 years before uh, we had left. And then now 40 years later, uh, these American missionaries coming back and finding out that the church has grown. The, the crisis always seems to be the same. Is The church is growing, but there's just not enough pastors, not enough people who can teach the word. And this is what really uh, motivates me is being able to go in those situations and just help these young pastors in their Bible studies and how to put together uh, teaching and just to feed the flock of God. And uh, 40 years on, uh, you could see what God had done and, and that that door would open to go back there. You know, uh, this is a weird thing. It never happened to me before. You get your visas online. You apply for your visas online for 20 bucks, and there it is. It's like, praise the Lord. The Apostle Paul will be all over this thing. You know, uh, visas online, bang, done. I'd never, to me, it was just very strange. But it's, it's because the door is just kind of cracking open a little bit. There's still persecution. Uh, one of the pastors we worked with there had been in prison twice, and they'd actually poisoned him. And uh, you could tell, like, his throat. And um, you remember when they poisoned the... Was it the president of the Ukraine got poisoned and he had, he had this very TV look and then all of his hair went white. Do you remember that? This the same thing happened to this gentleman. They, they had tried to kill him and uh, it didn't work. And so um, he was telling us stories of the, the persecuted church in Vietnam and how it's growing. And so in God's timing, right, you get on a plane and, and people are there and they're ready because this is what God said he would do. Uh, the rising and the falling of nations. Even when tragic things happen, God still is positioning people because he's wanting to lead people to Christ. I told you I went to Iraq. Uh, I just got back. And the same thing sort of happened. Um, there was an anniversary again on June the 8th, uh, just a few weeks ago, right? Two weeks ago. It was the one-year anniversary of the fall of Mosul. And the uh, city of one and a half million people was one without a fight, right? Where ISIS came in and then uh, the Christians all had to flee. And so this was the one year anniversary of that. And we were uh, there working with many people who had fled Mosul. 
And as we were doing the same thing, right, we were training pastors and Sunday school teachers and women's ministry leaders. Um, what we were told again was that God used this in a very powerful way, that the church in Iraq, it's about one and a half percent of the people are Christian. But the report that we were getting from them is that in the last year, since the fall of Mosul, that the church has doubled in Iraq. And the church has been sort of the ones who have ministered to all these refugees. And then the Christians from around the world that have sent aid, like they're the ones that are helping. And then the churches have been the center of the help. And then people are coming to Christ. You know, I met one pastor who said, our church has doubled since ISIS. I said, could you show me a picture of your church? And he, he had his iPhone. And uh, he showed me this picture. It's about 60 believers in this little building. And uh, I saw a Muslim woman right in the front. And I said, is that a Muslim woman? He said, yes. He said, she was so, she's so disgusted with ISIS that she came to Christ. And she sits right in the front of his church. He said, these are things that have never really happened before. And it's a horrible thing, this, this, this massive amount of refugees. But the church has sort of been coming alive through this. And, you know, and again, in God's timing, um, you know, we pray and we seek the Lord, but it's fascinating to me how if you just are open and let God lead in the timing. By the way, that trip had been in the works for about five years with all the ups and the downs. And so somehow at this particular time, again, we had the freedom uh, to just go right into that airport in Kurdistan and walk right through, just boom, passport, visa, no problem. I was shocked. and um, But in God's timing, the church has been positioned to be this blessing. And they're, they're seeing people come to Christ in a way that they never had before. So you have to trust the Lord that this Acts 17, 26 and 27, uh, we emphasize the power of God, that he is orchestrating all these things and the movements of people and where they are and the opportunities that come up for mission. I got another one over in John chapter 12. This is going to sound strange at first, but number four, I want to say we emphasize the planting, like seeds, the planting of God. I just want to read one verse, John chapter 12, verse 24. This is Jesus. John 12, 24, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But. If it dies, it produces much grain. Here Jesus is talking about his cross. It's going to happen. But it's a principle of spiritual life and, and power. And uh, I want to read a little bit. Of, I brought Warren Wearsby with me, Wearsby with me tonight. Can I, can I read a little Warren? This is his uh, comment on this verse. In this principle. It's talking about this verse. Uh, He says this. Jesus used the image of a seed. To illustrate the great spiritual truth. That there can be no glory without suffering. No fruitful life without death. No victory without surrender. Of itself. A seed is weak and useless. But when it's planted. It dies and becomes fruitful. 
there is both beauty and bounty when a seed dies and fulfills its purpose. If a seed could talk, it would no doubt complain about putting, being put into the cold, dark earth. But the only way it can achieve its goal is by being planted. God's children are like seeds. They're small and insignificant, but they have life in them, God's life. However, that life can never be fulfilled unless we yield ourselves to God and permit him to plant us. We must die to self that we can live unto God. The only way to have a fruitful life is to follow Jesus in death, burial, and resurrection. In these words, Jesus challenges us today to surrender our lives to him. Note the contrast, loneliness or fruitfulness. Losing your life or keeping your life. Serving self or serving Christ. Pleasing self or receiving God's honor. I read about some Christians who visited a remote mission statement or station to see how the ministry was going. And as they watched the dedicated missionary team at work, they were impressed with their ministry, but admitted that they missed civilization. You certainly have buried yourself out here, one of the visitors exclaimed. We haven't buried ourselves, the missionary replied. We were planted. I like that. This idea of the power uh, of being planted. You know, one thing I've really noticed over the years is that the most fruitful missionaries are people that love where they are. When you travel and you meet people that are just being fruitful, God has given them a love for where they are. They love the people. They love the food. They love the weather. Kind of going out here on faith. But what I, what I, you, you, you just, it's uncanny when God uh, plants you somewhere. See, if you don't plant, it's hard to be fruitful. It's obviously very true in the local church, too. If you want to serve the Lord and be fruitful, you've got to plant somewhere. You don't see a lot of fruit to tumbleweeds, right? It's just annoying. Uh, to get planted, you've got to put your roots down somewhere in order to grow and, and to be fruitful. And, you know, what I, what I feel like is so critical, and it's one of these kind of Calvary Chapel-isms, is we, we emphasize the, the planting of God. In other words, God puts the right person in the right place. I feel like it's actually part of our Calvary Chapel DNA. You remember the story of Chuck Smith? You remember how that whole thing happened and how he got planted down there in Huntington Beach in Costa Mesa? That for about 18 years... He was a pastor that had two years worth of sermons and just would preach his two years worth of sermons and then move on to the next church in the denomination. Remember that? And you remember what really stopped all that? Was it some big, huge spiritual thing that finally, you know, that, that stopped him from moving around? No, it was that he fell in love with that area of the world. He fell in love with that beach community. And, you know, th- that may sound very non-spiritual, I'm a little bit afraid to preach it, but can we just think together about this? That one of the keys uh, to being fruit, fruitful is to just plant yourself somewhere. You know, for example, when a person says, well, I'm just on the move. Like if you have a, a plant in a pot and you don't really allow yourself to mix in the soil and, and really be where you are and you just kind of move around, that, that you're going to stunt the growth of that thing, aren't you? That really, where growth happens is where you feel, well, God's called me, and He's gifted me, but then He's put me somewhere. Right? So when you plant yourself in a local church and let yourself get in there and begin to love the people, 
And accept where God's put you. Not to fight it. And not to be looking around and constantly checking airfares to other places. No, just to say, this is where God's got me. I've even heard of pastors who've bought uh, cemetery plots in the places where God's called them. Just say, okay, we're here. We're not going anywhere. And that I never have done that, but it's, uh, I, I get the idea that to be fruitful. And this is what I've sort of seen. I've seen it on the mission field. I've seen it in our own movement. That when God gets the right persons in the right places, and you begin to minister, and you, you, you get in that soil, that's where fruitfulness happens. Right? It's, it's this idea of being planted. God put us here. Um, I think it's a huge key in, in life and in ministry that to be fruitful is to accept you know, God's assignment and to, to be in that place. One of the great missions concepts that I've heard is this idea of uh, don't bring the gospel as a potted plant. Bring the seeds and put them in our soil. In other words, the word of God is powerful and it works. But these expressions of local churches and the work that God wants to do in certain places, it'll be different than it would be at home. And you don't want to import you know, your culture and your whole um, pot with the gospel. But when we're faithful just to bring God's word and to preach it there and let it go in the soil, it is amazing the impact that, that God's word has. Now, that's my last point. If you go over to Second Timothy chapter 4. So I've had five things in five verses. The five things were that we, number one, emphasize the call of God. And then number two, we emphasize the equipping of God. Number three, we emphasize the power of God. Number four, we emphasize the planting of God. And then number five here, we emphasize just the word of God. And this is what Paul taught Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verses 1 and 2. Paul says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. This is the climax of this last letter. Uh, Paul and sort of his last words, you know, what, what should Timothy be doing? You know, what, what should he do now that Paul's not there? And the challenge is just to keep doing the work, preach the word, be a father in the faith to others and let God's word uh, do his work. And this is really the key, isn't it? That, that whatever I do in ministry, uh, the word needs to be central. I need to be scattering the seed if I want to be fruitful and the, the beauty of this is it's so powerful. You know, I'm thinking about the mission field again and how uh, sometimes you can't stay in a certain country any longer. Uh, things happen. We, we experience this. Uh, sometimes your visa is not renewed and you have to leave. 
Uh, we experienced wars. Sometimes a country goes to war and it's no longer safe to be there. All of our missionaries, we had a whole huge group of missionaries in Yugoslavia in the 90s. And when we began bombing Yugoslavia, uh, all those missionaries had to step out of the country for a while. Uh, sicknesses. Or even times where, you know, your family needs you back home. And I could just make a long list of things where sometimes people want to stay and they're planted. But then they have to go. And then that becomes the test. Right? The test of what happens when I leave. So if I'm no longer here, is the work that I'm doing, does it vanish or does it continue? You know, does it disappear or does it multiply? Now, these are not mysterious things. (laughs) as you travel and you look for, for fruit and the sign of, of, of that there's been good investment and good ministry, uh, a lot of times, right, you'll, you'll do some sort of an outreach or you'll send a team somewhere and you go back a year later and you can look and see, is there any sign, any fruit that remained from what we did uh, the year before? Now, this is sort of a, it's an, an embarrassing sort of thing because we as the church do a lot of different kinds of things. And I, I think that biblically, you can find reason to do things like help people find water or help feed people because Jesus did those things. Uh, medical outreaches. All these things, I think you can see in the healing ministry of Jesus, care for people. And we can make a long list maybe of valid uh, ministries and things. But it is interesting when you go back a year later, and I, I'm way into repetition. You know, the way to get effective in, in traveling and missions is to go back and to keep learning and figuring out you know, what needs the church really has. And I think that's one of your strategies here with, with Tony, right? Is certain things you do over and over. You say, why are we doing that? Because you get an education. You start to really have an impact with repetition. But one of the things you start to learn right away is that if the Word of God isn't being taught, if there isn't that transformation in the power of God's Word, a lot of times you come back and there's no sign of, of fruit a year later. You know, the real test is what happens when we're not there or the missionaries have to go or, you know, you come back and, you know, what, what, what remained? And, you know, what remains always is the church. When you, when you plant churches, when you equip people to teach the Word, that seed... And it's, it's astonishing sometimes if you focus on that and all of your doing, that when you come back and see, you know, what happened? What happened to that little group of believers? Or what happened to that little church? Or this person that, that we helped equip in the Word? Uh, a lot of times you come back and you realize, now there's five churches. <laughs> or that, that church has grown. And, you know, this is the thing that ultimately we, we have to focus on is the, the Word. That's where the power is. That's where the transformation is. You know, I think about uh, Calvary Chapel and the Jesus People Movement. And um, I know some of you are old because you already raised your hand with Keith Green and things. And uh, Do you remember that Jesus was actually popular for a period of time? Do you remember that? Jesus is just all right with me. Uh, he was popular. There were Jesus watches and Jesus papers 
And even if you watch carefully uh, 70s TV shows, Jesus crept in there. Uh, Jesus got popular for a while. And the Jesus People movement was a lot bigger than Calvary Chapel. It, it was happening in a lot of places. But then now we can look back and, and, and we look this question, right, of fruit and fruit that remains. And you, you look around now and like, where's the evidence that that all happened? Where's the fruit and the lasting fruit from that revival? Because it was a real revival, amen? But where, where did the fruit remain? It was largely in the Calvary chapels. Why? Because a bald, beautiful old man <laughs> taught the Bible and taught the Bible and taught the Bible, taught through the Bible, what, 11 times? Before he died, he just taught the Bible. There really wasn't a whole lot else. I guess there was some music too, yeah. Um, but in terms of fruit, why is it then that, that, that out of all that revival, then, then what, what still is around? Where's the evidence? Well, it, it had to do with the teaching of the Word, didn't it? It had to do with training and equipping young people to go out and to minister and then that multiplication of churches, that fruit remained. You know, again, that's a part of our Calvary Chapel DNA. That we've, we've, we have that, don't we? We understand that out of all the things we might do, the most powerful, most important is to teach the Word. Because when that happens, you're, you're, you're scattering seed, and that seed multiplies, and that seed remains. And, you know, this, these things... This is sort of how, how it works. These are the basics. They're true ministering here in your church in Pasadena. They're also very true when you get chances to go and impact other nations. They're good, solid principles that in many ways are missing. And so it's a great thing to impact the world with. Uh, these things work because they're biblical and the Lord blesses His Word. Can we bow our heads and I'll, I'll pray. Well, Father, I, I just thank You for just being able to sit and to learn and, and just to think a little bit about how ministry works. I thank You that we have a lot of Scriptures Many more than this that just keep hammering, you know, the way that you build your church. What really lasts. And Lord, I think each of us would love to invest our lives in ministry. And in ministry that would really have power, lasting power, lasting fruit. And I just would pray that these things now, we could have opportunity. Lord, to see it happen. Lord, you said if, if your word abides in us, well, that we could pray and ask and you would do. And that we would go and be your disciples. That we would bear fruit and then the fruit would remain. But I, I would pray for that, that you would just sort of 
focus us. Maybe even prune us a little bit so that the things that we're doing with the ministries that we're investing in would be more fruitful. Lord, I just want to pray a, a missionary prayer too that that the heart of missions in this church would just keep growing. Lord, the mission to Pasadena. Lord, the mission to Los Angeles. Lord, the mission across America. And then, Lord, the mission to the ends of the earth. I pray for specific opportunities. Just a growing heart for your work around the world. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.